Let us pray. Father, indeed, your kingdom is forever. So may our hearts and lives be aligned with your heart and the priorities of your kingdom, which is eternal. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. We may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here this morning. I invite you to take out your Bibles or devices with Scripture on them or uh, grab one of the Bibles in the pew underneath of you and turn to the 16th chapter of St. John's Gospel. And as you're doing that, just so you know, I am not sick. I am not getting sick. Eliana had a soccer tournament yesterday, and I cheered too much. And by the time I realized I was straining my voice, it was too late. So um, that's what's going on. We also had a wonderful day here yesterday in the morning with our monthly food giveaway, and we served over 220 families yesterday, thanks be to God, with just wonderful, had large amounts of fresh meat and fresh produce this month, thanks to um, a number of the businesses in our community and your gracious and faithful donations as well. So every family, in addition to Kingo, yesterday got baked goods. They got meat, and they got a variety of fresh produce. So thank you all for your continued faithful ministry as the Lord touches our community through us. Today is Trinity Sunday on the church calendar, as I mentioned when I greeted all of you this morning. And in our gospel readings, we're in lectionary year C, the three-year rotation um, for Sunday readings. And in our lectionary reading for year C, the reading for Trinity Sunday is from St. John's Gospel. As we begin, I want to give credit to Leon Morris and his commentary on John's Gospel, which I've leaned on heavily as I prepared this sermon. And once again, in John's Gospel today, as we have basically every Sunday since Easter, we find ourselves in the upper room discourse. That night when Jesus gave instructions to his disciples immediately before he was betrayed. And our reading today is very much in continuity with our focus last Sunday as Jesus continues to expound and explain to his disciples what the ministry of the Holy Spirit will be and will look like following his ascension back to the right hand of the Father in glory. I quoted verses 14 through 15 of John chapter 16 last Sunday on Pentecost as we saw and we talked about how the Holy Spirit always points to and glorifies Jesus. While the ministry of the coming Holy Spirit both in the world and in and through Jesus' disciples comes to the fore here in this text in John 16, these verses are also thoroughly Trinitarian as we Look at this passage on Trinity Sunday. Verse 5, But now I, Jesus speaks of himself, am going to him, the Father who sent me. None of you ask, where are you going? Verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the Helper, referring to the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Verse 10, Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak his, on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Verse 15, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he, again referring to the Holy Spirit, will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
What we see here is clearly the fullness of the ministry of our great God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what we see here is the ministry of our triune God in the world. As we look to this text this morning, there are two my primary points of focus as we dive into what Jesus says here. First, the work of the Holy Spirit in the world in verses 8 through 11. And then second, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in and through believers in verses 12 through 15. So let's begin with the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. Look at verses 8 through 11 with me. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is, this world is judged. These verses are, one of, are the one place in Scripture where the primary focus is on the Holy Spirit's ministry to the world, i.e. to non-believers. The vast majority of references to the work of the Holy Spirit in Scripture focus primarily on how the Holy Spirit of God works in and through believers, through God's people. And the Holy Spirit's work in the world is to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The late Anglican Bishop Lesby Newbigin said it this way, referring to this text. We see that the Spirit is not the domesticated auxiliary of the church. He is the powerful advocate who goes before the church to bring the world under conviction. Do you hear the emphasis there? The Holy Spirit of God goes before the church. The Holy Spirit of God brings conviction. So let's unpack all of this a little bit. It's important to notice that verse 9 uses the word sin singular, referring to a totality and not sins plural, referring to specific sinful acts. And the central issue here with that language goes to the reality of our sinful fallenness, the fallenness of all humanity, the world, every person, every single one of us is guilty of rebellion against God. This is the essence. This is the core, the heart of sin, if you will. In convicting the world of sin, the Holy Spirit brings this conviction home to unbelievers. It, he brings this conviction home to the world. However, hear this. We cannot miss this. The heart and purpose here is redemptive. God's heart and bringing conviction to the world is redemptive. And we must not miss that point. Because that's why the Spirit of God also convicts of righteousness. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts the unbeliever's conscience. Did you hear that? The Holy Spirit convicts the unbeliever's conscience. Not you. Not me. The Holy Spirit and apart from this work of the Spirit, people would never come to grasp the reality of their own utter sinfulness and alienation from God. The Holy Spirit shows people the true nature of righteousness, that it is God alone who is righteous and holy. This is the testimony of the entirety of Scripture, both Old and New Testaments. That righteousness is not rooted in any way in human works or human effort. 
It comes through God's atoning work alone, God's action of redemption on my behalf and on your behalf. We see this picture beautifully in our Old Testament reading this morning in the calling of the prophet Isaiah where he has this vision of God enthroned in all of his glory in heaven with these angels, these seraphim, antiphonally from either side of the throne calling back to one another, holy, 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 covering their faces in the presence of a holy God. And we read Isaiah saying, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. The atoning of sin is the work of God. I like the wording in the King James for verse 5 where Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am undone. I think that paints a very accurate picture. Woe is me, I'm in the presence of holy God. I am undone. Or as the NIV says, I am ruined. People, all of us must come to the place of wholeheartedly recognizing and embracing our utter dependence upon God. That pushes human pride to the curb. That is not a popular thing that we must acknowledge our utter dependence upon God. That is not a popular thing to say. That is not an easy thing for people to come to grasp. One popular television personality a few years ago receiving a Golden Globe Award, and I, the name is here, but I try not to use specific individuals' names, especially with negative illustrations, um, said this when she received her award. What I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. Speaking your truth. Brent McCracken in his book, The Wisdom Pyramid, published by Crossway last year, says this about that. Your truth, those two words are so entrenched in our lexicon today that we hardly recognize them for the incoherent nightmare that they are. Among other things, the philosophy of your truth destroys family when a dad suddenly decides his truth is calling him to a new lover, a new family, or maybe even a new gender. It's a philosophy that can destroy entire societies because invariably one's person, one person's truth will go to battle with another person's truth and devoid of reason, only power decides the victor. Your truth also puts an incredible self-justifying burden on the individual. If we are all self-made projects whose destinies are wholly ours to discover and implement, life becomes a rat race of performative individuality. We are not called to discover our truth in some individualistic, subjective way. We are called to embrace God's truth. The truth of God who is eternal. The truth of God who is unchanging. And the starting place for each of us in this is the same as it was for the prophet Isaiah. I am lost. I am undone. 
the Holy Spirit's work of convicting and showing God's righteousness, is rooted in God's incredible love for humanity, despite our rebellion against him. And finally here, Jesus speaks of judgment, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And judgment focuses here, if you look at the context, on the reality of Satan and sin being finally judged through the cross of Christ. That through Christ, this work is accomplished and Satan is indeed defeated. The Holy Spirit's work of convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment are all understood in and through the work which Jesus has accomplished through his cross and resurrection. It must be my day for quoting Anglican bishops. The late Bishop B.F. Westcott, who lived in the late 19th century, said this, He, the Holy Spirit, will not simply convict the world as sinful as without righteousness, as under judgment, but he will show beyond contradiction that it is wanting in the knowledge of what sin, righteousness, and judgment really are. We must all come to the place, and this is a hard message in the day we live, of grasping our own sinfulness and depravity. But I want to close the loop here by coming back to what I said earlier. The purpose of the conviction of God The purpose of the conviction which God, the Holy Spirit, brings to the world is always redemptive in purpose. The Holy Spirit's conviction reveals and demonstrates to us the heart of God. And we too who have come to know Christ must reveal and demonstrate the heart of God in the way we order our lives and in the power of the Holy Spirit. God sent his only son into the world to redeem the world. John 3:17 For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved. Conviction is the work again of God the Holy Spirit. It's not your work, it's not my work. You and I hear this lest we grow too confident in our flesh. You and I can never transform a human heart. You and I can never bring salvation to someone. You and I can never set someone free. But what we can do as God works in and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit is to, as we yield to God, we can be his conduits. We can be his channels, if you will, of truth and grace. Yes, and I said the word channel because that's a word that was a biblical concept until the world of the New Age movement tried to rob it from God's church years ago with channeling demonic forces. We are to be channels, conduits of God's grace and the power and the life of God to those we encounter. There's an old hymn that we used to sing in Pentecostal churches, which um, nobody in the first service except me knew. Um, But has anyone ever heard the hymn, Channels Only? I see some folks over there, yes. I just want to read a little bit of the wording of this hymn. How I praise thee, precious Savior, that thy love laid hold of me. Thou hast saved and cleansed and filled me, that I might thy channel be. Channels only, blessed Master, but with all thy wondrous grace flowing through us, thou canst use us every hour in every place. Just a channel full of blessing to the thirsty hearts around to tell out thy salvation All thy loving message sound. Yes, we are called to be God's channels. We are to speak God's truth. 
but always with the leading of the Holy Spirit, always in light of our own redemption, remembering who we are and who God is making us to be, speaking in love even when saying things is hard, when we're speaking hard truths, and always as we speak those truths, seeing others, seeing people who don't know Christ as persons created in God's image, people for whom Jesus died, so that they may too experience the grace and the redemption that God has poured out in our lives. Yes, the Holy Spirit's work in the world is to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment so that people can come to know Christ and be set free and know him whom to know is life eternal. Secondly, let's talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in and through believers, verses 12 through 15. This is also obviously of incredible importance. I'm going to spend a little bit less time on this this morning, both because time is limited and also because much of what Jesus says here was incorporated into my sermon last Sunday on Pentecost. What Jesus says to them in this setting that evening was overwhelming. Look at verse 12 with me. Jesus acknowledges this. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Think about the context again. I know I've said that, I think, every Sunday since Easter, and I said it on, during Holy Week, but think of the context. Think of all that was rapidly unfolding, and from the disciples' perspective, it felt like things were spinning out of control. Put ourselves in their shoes. There was only so much they could bear as human beings in that moment. All that was coming to pass was unprecedented and completely unexpected by them, to say the least. However, with the ascension of Jesus and the promised outpouring of God, the Holy Spirit, beginning on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would reveal to them the full implications of what Jesus had accomplished. And the Holy Spirit would also reveal to them their mission to the world through Christ. And he would empower them to accomplish this mission, not by their means, but through God's provision of God's power and through God's means. And here again, we see the Trinitarian focus. As the Holy Spirit will not speak on his own authority, look at verse 13 with me. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the Holy Spirit's ministry with regard to truth is to lead Jesus' disciples, to lead Jesus' followers, not just in that moment, but until Jesus returns, to lead Jesus' disciples more and more deeply into the truth of Jesus, into the truth of Jesus, because Jesus in his essential being is the truth. Do you understand that? Jesus doesn't just speak truth. In his very essence, as God the Son, he is truth truth. And Jesus and God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit work in complete and perfect harmony, in unity. 
The Holy Spirit is not originating something radically new or novel. As God, the Holy Spirit, eternally existing in perfect union with God, the Father and the Son in perfect Trinity, the leading of the Holy Spirit will always, always, always be in accordance with the truth of God and in accordance with the teaching already given from the Father and the Son. We are fallible. We make mistakes. So what is our check on making sure we're hearing from the voice of the Spirit? It will always line up. Always line up with the truth of God's Word. And to be clear, just a little lesson in Bible interpretation here, passages of Scripture that are explicitly clear always are used to interpret passages that may be a little confusing. The idea here is that Scripture interprets Scripture. Far too often, error and heresy in the church and cults arise or have arisen because someone takes a less than clear text of Scripture without considering it in light of the whole counsel of God's Word and runs with it and builds a whole doctrine around it. And we need to guard against that. If we don't rely on Scripture as our check, we will go into error because we cannot trust ourselves. It's kind of like the translation apps that are so popular on our phones now for foreign languages. And Tammy and I have used those. A number of years, a few years ago, when we were in Italy with Tammy's family. We, we used those translation apps and they're okay. You can get by with them. Um, but, but those, has anyone else ever used those in a foreign country besides us? Um, yeah, but they don't always get it right, do they? And they can make some mistakes. And sometimes the translations can lead to misunderstandings as we rely too much on our phone. One example that I found online um, was from a family that was traveling, traveling in a portion of Wales where they spoke Welsh, which I don't even know how you pronounce Welsh. We see this line of consonants like this long. But there was a warning sign that read blasting in progress. But when the translation on the app was used, it was rendered workers exploding. <laughs> this is the infallible translation app. And whatever we sense from the voice of the Spirit of God will always agree with Scripture. What the Holy Spirit reveals is to us the Christian way fullness of life in Christ in ever-increasing and ever-deepening measure to an extent that was only possible, is only possible because of Christ's return to the right hand of the Father as the victorious eternal Son. There is indeed no division in our God who is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as we seek God's face, as we continue to yield ourselves to God and we allow the Spirit to work in us and to fill us to overflowing as God's channels, God will indeed, God the Holy Spirit will indeed lead us into deeper levels of truth of who Jesus is, to lead us into deeper union and relationship with Jesus who is truth. And as he does that, as he does his good work in us, as we yield ourselves to him by ever greater measure, 
Holy Spirit of God who is at work in the world, convicting the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, bringing people into redemptive, saving, transforming relationship with Christ. That same Holy Spirit of God will use you and me as his instruments so that we can be used in God's plan and in God's power to see the world come to know Christ. Let us pray. Gracious God, our great God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give you thanks that you are indeed at work in the world around us, accomplishing your redeeming work through Jesus, the eternal Son, who gave his life for the sins of the world and rose victorious so that we could enter into living life with you. So God, I ask that you would help us to be more fully yielded every day to your good work within us, that we would live into, by your grace and power, the truth of Jesus, that we would not only embrace it and see it flourish in our lives, but that, Lord, you would make us channels of your truth to the world around us, not through weakness of human flesh, but through the power and the work of your spirit in us. And Lord, I pray that many would come to the reality that truth is a person. Truth is Jesus Christ. And that the world around us, that our neighbors, that those who don't know you would come to embrace him, whom to know is truth and life eternal. Lord, by your grace, use us, fill us, empower us, And Lord, by your grace and mercy, continue to do your good and redemptive work in our community and use us in your plan. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.